This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversation with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin. And I'm joined by Mawera Karatai in Fakatani, who, yest- who yesterday dashed off to the dentist just as we started to talk to Tamati. How was level three dentistry? Um, I was, it was really neat talking to my dentist. He said that he had had to send all of his dentists home. And he's a um, he's been running his practice here in Pakatani for a long time. John Twaddle is his name, um, a, a cool guy, and he has right through this whole crisis been the only dentist open in Pakatani. So he's been really busy. He's a so good man. He was allowed to stand closer than two meters away. <laughs> yeah, he's got covered in all of this protective gear, which is really good. Made me feel incredibly nervous um, looking at him all dressed up like that, but. Uh, um, but I feel a lot better now, so that's good. I'm sorry I missed the interview with you and Tamati. That would have been just so cool to be part of that. I look forward to hearing it. And we are joined by our colleague, Chris Morland. Welcome, Chris. Hi, Sam. I'm Mawira. Great to be aboard. Where are you, Chris? Oh, I'm at home in Fairfield in a, a bubble of two. My partner and I um, not long shifted out to uh, Fairfield and um, um, the uh, experience of living in a bubble has certainly been uh, challenging at times and lonely at times because just the two of us, of course, doesn't mean for a lot of interaction. But thank goodness for the internet and the way we've been able to connect over these last few weeks. It's uh, We've had parties online, we've had meetings online, we've done lessons online, things that probably a couple of months ago uh, um, um, we wouldn't even thought of doing. Perhaps we've done meetings, but certainly not a virtual party. My wife celebrated her 65th birthday during the um, first week of the bubble, first week of isolation. And um, while it was quite strange, it was also quite reassuring to link up with our son in um, the Gold Coast, our daughter in Dunedin, and a, a son and his wife and four kids in Palmy North. So we sort of had a really interesting bubble and it was um, it was actually a lot of fun. And funnily enough, even though you sort of only speak one at a time, the kids come in and out and you come in and out and in between times you have a drink. <laughs> and you're getting some work done? Yeah, work. Yeah, work. Have my what? I think I'm working harder <laughs> at home than I do at work. I keep ending the day and I sit down with my wife and I say, I'm absolutely exhausted. I said, I feel like I haven't done anything today, but I, um, I haven't had time. The time's run. I don't know where time goes. And secondly, you, uh, I seem to be mentally tired, just quite, just in the thought department. 
and 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 so I've reflected a bit on that really and tried to understand why that might be. And why is it? Well, I think it's it's a multitude. I work from home. I have worked from home quite a bit. I often take a day or half a day when I need to do some concentration because in an open plan at work, it's a bit of a challenge. Someone always wants to have a chat there or someone rings you, you get, you get, you get, you know, the influence of the outside world on you. So I come home occasionally, which means I'm on my own and I can control those interactions. So I've worked from home and it's been, it's been great because I have that clarity of space and that time on my own to sort of do the writing that I need to do. Um, this, so I thought this is going to be great. I'll come home and I'll have a lot of time for this thinking and doing, but there's no time for thinking. It's just a shitload of, excuse me, there's a lot of time in, in doing. Thinking seems to go out the window and you have to create offline time. And that seems to be very rare in this, in this environment. So, so that's part of it, uh, and and understanding new routines. So I had this thing in my head where, when I come home and work, and you have your own time, the only other time I'm at home for any length of time, funnily enough, is weekends. And I've been in employment for a long time. I know you can't see me, but I'm just in my um, um, mid sixties, and so I've, I have worked for a long period of time. And ninety nine point nine percent of that has been in the work. Uh, so yeah, in the workforce, but in the employer's um, um, facilities. So to work from home, while it seemed really exciting, I had to establish new routines because I kept wanting to go out and paint the fence or to <laughs> perhaps I should mow the lawn or cut the hedge, you know, and, and I had this conflict in my head that I was actually meant to be working, but the majority of my time at home, I'm not working. I'm doing those day-to-day -day chores. So, that was quite hard, actually. While it was funny, and it's still funny because I still have those thoughts in my mind, it's quite hard to change your thinking and to say, I'm now at work, I've got my computer up, I've got whatever I've got to do for work. So it took, a, I suppose, a week and a half to, to get my head around that particular aspect of I'm here to work, I'm not here to paint the fence or mow the lawn. Um, I think I've got through that. Um, and now I just have interruptions from my wife who thinks I've been working for too long and brings me a <laughs> cup of tea. Um, and that's interesting when, of course, you have people um, uh, and the video going and, and someone arriving at your shoulder to um, give you a cup of tea or a piece of cake. That's nice, I must say. That's really nice, but it, but it is um, quite strange. So it was, it was hard to um, get into a routine. And I, and I started putting on quite a lot of weight because um, Ellen, well, um, Ellen doesn't do all the cooking, but she does like cooking, and she'd cook me a lunch. So we'd have a cook lunch, we'd have a cook tea, and I've sat on my bum all day and not sort of go anywhere, and so all of a sudden a couple of kilograms popped on the waist. And so that spurned me into um, – I've, I've always resented paying money to get fit. There's some psychological thing in my head that says you can just get out and go for a walk. You can just get out and go for a run. You can just get out and go for a swim or a bike, whatever, and you don't have to pay anything. So I've, I've always struggled in my mind to pay money to help someone to tell you to ride a bike or to get fit or to do some press-ups. So I got over that and, and um, enrolled in and. A, a, uh, uh, having a coach 
uh, uh, for half an hour, and I've got, I'm actually going to one this afternoon. So with that blocked in your day, and with walking every day, I often don't walk every day. Those things have helped greatly to um, sustain a routine at home, to create a routine. Sorry, not not sustain to create one, and and so that's been a really key mechanism to um, differentiate work from play. I never had a problem in all my life. I've sort of differentiating work from play. I would come home from work and, and would clearly need to stop work and I would do certain things like um, um, put my suitcase down or my briefcase or I would make some physical breaks between home and work. But of course, when you're at home, those little triggers aren't there. You don't get in the car and drive home. You're at home all the time. So those wee triggers in your life if, uh, are not there, so man, all of a sudden you've got to recreate those triggers. You've got to you've got to tell your mind and, and trigger your body that things have changed. You know, you are stopping work now. I did feel that my laptop felt like it was attached to my hip for a few weeks. I, I really couldn't get rid of. It. I'd sit down at tea, and after tea, I'd go back to my laptop again. Oh, crazy behaviour, truthfully, and I never did that. When I wasn't working from home, I could differentiate, I, guess, I dare say, or differentiate, had some triggers that, that um, said, um, do you really need to do this? Is it a requirement? Can I leave it till tomorrow? But with this whole working from home thing, I sort of lost those, those sort of daily boundaries. Yeah, funny, really. So let's take your first of your tracks, The Beatles' Let It Be. It's kind of the opposite of what you were just talking about. If you'd let it be, you'd be working all the time. <laughs> Yeah, we did right, Sam. Let it be. Yeah, stunning, stunning bit of music. Uh, the Beatles, let it be, and probably shows the generation um, I come from. And the Beatles were very informing um, of my teenage years. Long hair, very different. I haven't got much hair now, of course, but um, very long hair at school and a bit rebellious, and you weren't allowed to have hair down on your shirt, and there were all sorts of drugs. I went to school and. Um, sort of didn't have the short back inside. So the Beatles helped break a lot of those sort of conformities that um, I certainly lived with in my years. When I find myself in times of trouble, Mother Mary comes to me, speaking words of wisdom. Let it be And in my hour of darkness She is standing right in front of me Speaking words of wisdom Let it be 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 Whisper words of wisdom Let it be when the broken-hearted people living in the world agree, there will be an answer, let it be. But though they may be parted, there is still a chance that they will see. There will be an answer, let it be. Let it be. 
night is cloudy There is still a light that shines on me Shine until tomorrow, let it be I wake up to the sound of music Mother Mary comes to me Speaking words of wisdom, let it be Sprite of the Forest of Orokanui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, na mihi aroha nui, kia koutou, I hope you're all having the best day. Beautiful superstars, beautiful triumphs of nature, beautiful shining examples of nature's work. Living, breathing. Miracles of love. Thank you for being born. And I'm very grateful and I'm very excited that we can have more time together because, of course, it has been revealed to me that Blowing Bubbles is to continue. So I'm so happy. I was thinking, oh, my goodness, I'm going to have to do my final three shows. And now I'm just so happy that it's going to keep going. And this is what I thought I could talk to you about today because how fascinating it is that as a species of animal, If we are told that something is coming to an end, a whole attitude towards it changes. And here I was thinking, oh, what will I do for my last three episodes and everything like that. And now I know that it's going to continue forever. I just feel so much more free and creatively inspired and really happy and really grateful and really loved and appreciated and full of love and appreciation for all of you and for the show so it's just amazing and so this got me to thinking of course that we can perceive other things in our beautiful lives in this way too and experience similar emotions and similar shifts in our perceptions and of course as we know as a species of animal the product of literally billions of years of evolution on earth life we are connected to all life and we are eternal the atoms and molecules that make up our bodies are recycled over and over again through a multitude of forms and so even if this form that we're in may come to an end we will not those atoms and molecules will grow into something else and so this is a wonderful reframing of death and a wonderful way to appreciate our life as eternal and birth as the opposite of death as opposed to life as the opposite of death so knowing that we are an eternal being that's very helpful and of course knowing that what we do and what we contribute 
will continue to have a positive impact forever is also a really good thing to know and a really good thing to draw emotional sustenance and inspiration from. So of course every action that we take has an impact and we have to choose what kind of impact we want to make as beautiful Dr Jane Goodall says and not only do our actions impact on our beautiful beloveds around us but they impact on all of those coming after us and all of those that surround us on a larger scale on a global and universal scale so we never need fear that our actions will dissipate that our actions will disappear that our actions are in vain that our actions will have no impact because they always have impact and they always make a difference even if we are not aware of it at the time and this impact extends beyond our lifetimes and out into the infinite because as we know everything that lives is interconnected in that infinite web and every action that those living beings take is part of that infinite web of connection and affects all life around it forever so now that we know that I hope that we all feel a lot better I certainly do knowing that I'm going to continue to have this time with you and it's just really really helped me so much to think about each day what I want to share for my five minutes so thank you for having me and something that I think we're all part of and we can all enjoy being part of is this process of conscious co-evolution that we're all participating in right now so of course we as human animals have evolved our amazing brains but we are just one aspect of the one consciousness that all life has sprung from. And so we are the natural world, we are life perceiving itself with our beautiful consciousness, but of course we are evolving consciously alongside all other life. So I've been sharing a lot of my adventures with my beautiful kittens and my beautiful hens, and of course all the beloved native wildlife at Orokanui Eco Sanctuary, but at all times we're surrounded by life in the unseen, the beautiful tardigrades, the beautiful algae, all these tiny microscopic creatures that live in our gut and help us feel good. They're all evolving alongside us. So I think it's wonderful to remember that this is the process that we're part of and that we are contributing at all times to things getting better and better. So I hope that you all have the most wonderful day and thank you again for having me Kakite. what sort of work are you doing um it's um yeah good question it's not it's not work that requires a lot of deep thinking because i've got um two key meetings um every day and one of them is the critical incident management team, and that's the one that the Polytech put in place when we sort of first nearly, well, when we were heading into into the COVID-19 crisis. And so the Polytech has a critical incident team to, to manage, you know, uh, serious dislocations at work. And so it was agreed to pull that team together. And um, early on, um, we realised that working sort of, irregularly and for long periods of time but not every day created some large gaps in terms of communicate things were things are, are still moving very fluidly but in those early days um I think we only spent about two days and and uh, alert level three going into alert level four 
and so th and things we just things were just moving at such a speed that we felt we had to meet every day. So we set up half an hour meetings. We shifted them around a little bit. We we sort of did them late in the afternoon, early in the morning. But we then coincided our meetings with the Ministry of Health um, uh, communicators at one o'clock. So so we met just after those because there were things coming out of those meetings every day that sort of we had to address and then adapt and then start communicating with our staff about how we would respond to those things. So um, so that's that's one meeting an hour every day. Sometimes it goes for an hour depending on the on the detail that needs to be considered. And our senior, leader, our senior leadership team uh, meets every day as well for an hour. And um, that again is to sort of respond to the COVID-19 crisis and some positive things in that, that you do tend to keep on the edge of, of this COVID-19 crisis and other matters that are arising. But I must say, it does also drain a lot of energy because you're sort of moving in 24-hour times and, and um, um, the, the the ability to change and respond to the different communiques um, and then get this reflected out through our organisation um, is is um, takes a fair bit of mental energy, and and you think you need a lot of thinking time. Well, you do, but you you don't seem to get it because you're playing to someone else's tune. It's not like that we're in control anymore. Something else is in control. And clearly, COVID-19, this virus is um, decimating the world, and it's having a huge impact on New Zealand, and as a consequent, an impact on our work. And and so, feel quite constrained by the virus and the, Im the impact it's having, and, and 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 the ability to respond to it, and not necessarily to the virus itself, but to the impact the virus having on our economic life, our social life. And, and it's pretty scary, really, what it's uncovered. It's certainly uncovered, in my view, some of the failings of our, 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 perhaps the world. But if we go to New Zealand, some of the huge inequities and the poverty that uh, exists in our country that was perhaps hidden. It was, it's there. You, you do know it's there. You can't get away from it. But, but man, this has risen it. To, it's lifted it to a, a much, much higher level, and that's that's pretty sad, really, to think that we're a a, a, um, a first world country, and yet we have um, severe um, poverty in our country, homelessness, uh, um, um, those things um, um, are now being shared, of course throughout the country, but it's impacting on a far greater number. But those inequities um, are a big take home for me, I guess. And, and then that even flecks down to our, our tertiary education system because there's huge inequities built into that. And an example around that is the whole loan system. So we can have a person who is, is, is from a really challenging background with perhaps um, is 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 not um, does not have a home or might have a home but can't heat it can't also get enough feed on a uh, food on the table and then of course we say come to the polytech and we'll improve your life but to do that you've got to take out a loan for ten thousand dollars you know cost of living 
cost of the course, and all of a sudden you're carrying an additional debt. And are we addressing some of the inequities that are in place from in the first place? And the answer to that is no. And so, so that's also a bit scary. I think we we need to um, uh, address that. And we I know we do in some ways, but um, um, the starting line we're not all even on the starting line, and that's clearly. Um, um, been further exposed and it's interesting when you see the government's response to our students and all that they have done so far is said yes we'll give you a thousand dollars but it's a loan so you can draw down an additional thousand dollars and it will go on your loan which you'll have to pay back and well that's um that's pretty below the belt when you consider the handouts which are needed for a whole lot of our workers and our communities who are certainly not able to cope uh, um, effectively at this point in time. And again, um, this is policy driven. I know the virus is not policy driven and we're responding to the virus, but the reality is that our framework in New Zealand is driven by policy. Um, how we uh, educate our people, how we um, keep them in houses, how we keep people safe are all driven by governmental policy. And so clearly we've got some of those settings wrong. And um, um, I, I, it'll be interesting whether this political will to change some of these things. I, I don't think we'll ever go back. So everyone's saying that. What do we really mean? You know, uh, it's sort of you say, oh, we'll all be in the new world and what will not be there when we go forward. Well, poverty and dislocation is going to get worse in the short term. Homelessness, um, while we have some people, I believe, that have been rehoused, and it's good to hear that some of our regions are, are addressing that as we speak and have addressed it, um, um, we can't allow that to slip back. Um, um, clearly, we can't go back to what it was like. That's certainly not equal nor a fair society to live in. Liesel Mitchell is a downtown dweller, urban explorer and conversationalist, observing city life in lockdown. Why, hi there, bubble folk. Liesel here, coming at you from uh, my little bubble of one. The bubble of one that has so much fun, hey? <laughs> I do have a lot of fun, actually. I um, enjoy my own company and I have so many thoughts that go on in my head all the time, lots of ideas, lots of thinking, lots of internal conversations, uh, that I am never bored, never. Nope, that is not something I ever suffer from. So I guess I'm really lucky in some ways because my bubble time has been um, actually filled really easily with just my own thinking. Isn't that interesting? Hmm. I guess for some people that will be the opposite experience because we don't always enjoy our own thinking and um, if you're not used to it and particular, particularly if we've been maybe, you know, avoiding our own thinking by filling our lives up with lots of other things, lots of other noise, lots of other um, hobbies and distractions from our own thoughts then uh, being sort of forced to maybe spend some time with yourself, uh, even if you're in a bubble with lots of other people, there's still downtime by yourself and 
it's not always easy and I've been thinking about the fact that thinking as I do thinking a lot <laughs> I've been thinking about the fact that we fill up those spaces that we don't want to occupy in our own head with um, all kinds of other things that have been kind of taken away from us over the last few weeks and one of the big things obviously is our shopping that we do our buying stuff our entertaining ourselves by going to town by wandering through the malls by grabbing a lovely little bite to eat or a coffee and um, purchasing something that we really 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 justify needing and usually we don't <laughs> is my conclusion because how many people how many of you tell me well maybe don't tell me or just talk out loud in this space but um, how many people have actually been needing stuff over the last few weeks there may be the odd thing, you know, I know people have had things break or there's been something that's needed to be fixed or there, there are genuine things that we need sometimes to replace. But actually, can some of those things be fixed by a little bit of ingenuity or can we tape something together? Or as I was reading the other day about someone who mends things, so the whole, you know, revolution bring it back the, the the mending things idea rather than throwing clothes away rather than throwing shoes away you know mending them fixing them um and old school actually not replacing what we what we think we need to replace because i have not needed anything yes there's been a few things i would have liked to have bought but none of them were needs and my little house is full of stuff without being too cluttered there is nothing I really need so we are starting to open up business and things which is really great and I totally support supporting other people I think that's really important but I also think we we owe it to ourselves to maybe stop and think about what we spend our money on and do we want to just keep filling our filling our houses up with with stuff or do we want to maybe use that money to help other people who don't have as much as we do or to uh, use it to uh, spend time with people that we care about um, to save up for maybe a, a holiday together to maybe um, buy gifts for each other or something show someone some care are there other ways we can spend maybe that little bit of money that we might have that's that's available that we obviously just spend willy-nilly as we like to can we use it for other purposes can we contribute to a charity can we um, can we help someone who's maybe wanting to go back to school or something like that I just wonder if there's other ways we can use our money that we just um, kind of fritter away on stuff we don't need so that's my thinking, that's my headspace. I don't know what's coming next, but um, these are my thoughts for today. So take care out there. Talk soon. So um, I suppose you take on board those things you can do something about. And, and, and clearly at, at the Polytech at the moment, we are certainly working with the Students Association and the, students count, the Student Council. And, and, and we have a, a very liberal 
I suppose liberal, maybe it's not as liberal as some would like, but it's a, a relaxed, more relaxed attitude to supporting our learners who are suffering from some of the ailments as caused um, not only by COVID-19, but certainly magnified because of COVID-19. So, um, you know, we just have to get used to um, 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 supporting our learners in a different way. And, and um, while the majority of our learners um, are still probably going to cope well, there is an increasing number of students that actually don't cope well. And if your social situation or your housing situation or your financial situation is not one that enables you to concentrate on your learning, then it impacts on your learning. So, so clearly our learners um, need to be well supported um, during this, but not only during this, um, um, on an, in an ongoing sense uh, um, way into the future. And one would hope that um, NZIST, yet to be given its official name, and scary thing is, I guess, the longer we keep this name, <laughs> maybe there's a chance we'll never get a new name and this will stick, but hopefully we'll get a new name. Um, clearly, um, 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 and I used to think, and I'm not actually, I wouldn't call myself a radical, am I a progressive person? A little bit progressive. A am I one to, to, um, uh, um, want to articulate change? Am I one to be able to impact change? Yeah, I can, but in quite small circles or small areas of influence. And, and, and be truthful, I, when, you re when I reflect on, on that and the impact um, we now need to make, then to have a fairer world, it does need to impact on us all. Because I would call myself um, certainly middle class and unbelievably well paid. And, and, and some of the things that I've been describing today, um, I might have experienced as a younger person, uh, having a, a young family, having travelled overseas and done some study overseas. I mean, pretty privileged to do that. But but they were stressful times. Um, 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 so I can't easily imagine what it must be like for a person that, that is in a situation where to put food on the table every day is a challenge or to pay the heating bill is a challenge or to do what we would call perhaps our, our, daily, our daily life's chores. Um, so... Um, I am a bit removed from that, and I think part of the solution is that um, if I don't come to the party as an individual in, in a whole lot of ways, um, um, then the society won't be any better because I'll leave it for someone else to do. And, and I think the reflection I've made is that I have to do some of these things myself um, and not, not, not wait for the government to have a better policy, um, not wait. So maybe I should agitate more or advocate more for our students at the Polytech or community. I don't know That's... how I'll go in that space, Sam. I'm, I don't know how I'll go there, but we'll give it a shot. Perhaps that'll That's... be my new job. That'll <laughs> be my job when I leave Otago Polytech. Let's give Toto's Africa a shot.
Hear the drums echo into night She hears only whispers of some quiet conversation She's coming in 12.30 flight The moonlit wings reflect the stars that guide me towards salvation I stopped an old man along the way Hoping to find some old forgotten words
Of all of the societal things that you've seen happen in the last month or so, what do you think will stick and what do you hope will stick? Gee, the way we work in technology, we definitely won't be going back. You know, I mean, I hear some of my colleagues in, in, in the business school saying, gosh, um, we should keep doing some of this online learning. Um, our tutes, for example, uh, wouldn't it be good just to keep our, um, our tutorials going? We don't have to bring the students in for tutorials. They can stay in their own little networks or hubs. So those things, I think those enabling things, um, and I, I would suspect I, I'm, um, um, I will spend more time at home as we work through this because I have a, a partner who has an underlying medical condition. So we're conscious that um, um, I don't want to be the driver of bringing something home that, you know, might, might end up quite seriously. We've got to work those issues through and technology will enable me to manage that better. So the technology enablement will be a big thing that will carry on. Um, um, in terms of disparity and how we manage that, I'm blown away by the kindness and the um, volunteers and the trusts and the corporate societies, the Marae, the Red Cross, the St John's, all those for all those agencies are just sort of coming, well, I won't say they're coming to the fore, but that they are responding to um, the serious issues that we face. And so... Um, um, they've been there. They, they haven't just popped up. There's clearly that level of support's been going on for some time, but it's magnified. I mean, the volume of food that's being distributed, the number of meals that have been distributing, uh, the, it's quite frightening to hear those uh, those numbers. I mean, because that's not just 1% of our population or small numbers of our population. These are big numbers of our population. So the, po the Polytech has a really strong set of values yeah. and quite progressive values. Let's hope that they stick through the amalgamation. Yeah. Do you think that that's put us in a better position to be able to respond to this sort of thing? Is it, you know, when the rubber hits the road, are, are those values shining through? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things here. I, 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 yeah, values are important. And, and I suppose that's a, um, the value set that I have, I sort of use to guide me wherever I am. So it doesn't matter whether I'm at home or whether I'm at work or whether I'm with the bowling club or I'm with my neighbours. I mean, I espouse those same sets of values. So there's a set, sense of this consistency through there. So so that that feels good. And the Polytech has a set of values that I can easily um, equate to and, and to live, you know, to live those values. And so so I, I, I do too for, um, believe that um, the values have helped in a large extent in terms of how we're responding now. But I think there's another element. So while, while we say we're caring, you've still got to live the caring value and, and not only caring, but accountability and courage and, and, and those sort of equally overlap on one another in terms of how, of how we operate. But, but when you are, this is a life story now um, for me, I suppose, to be truthful. The, um, those, set, those value sets and the connections to uh, my family and where they've come from. And I, I've not been a deeply connected person, but, but um, 
um, when you start learning your me toe and you say, well, who's your, who's your mum and your dad? And that's, you, I was lucky enough to know my mum and dad, but who are your grandparents? And I only ever remember granddad Morland, who was about 90. I was a very late child in the family. So I really didn't have a strong connection to my cousins and my aunts and my grandparents because by the time I was born, they were either very, very old or had passed. So, uh, you know, when I got the challenge to deep deeper into my whakapapa, um, I couldn't go very far because I didn't ha have that immediate link. And so it sort of hung around for a long time and I didn't feel embarrassed about it. It wasn't an embarrassment, but I just felt I lacked something. I lacked that deep connection to my grandparents um, and, and, and that ancestry. So... Um, I had contact with a, um, um, a David Morland from Auckland who had been tracing his ancestry. And he said, we interest on his birthday weekend. This was three or four years ago. And I said, yeah, come down. Because we'll there were two or three other Morlands here that I knew a little because we lived in, we were, we sort of landed in Dunedin in 1863. We chased our family to uh, one of the boats that came out from Scotland in 1863. And um, I mean, I didn't know that till three years ago, which is quite an interesting. Anyway, long story short, um, David came down and um, traced our family back to um, Strathmore in Scotland in the, in the sort of um, um, uh, to um, 1642. And he was able to articulate the links right through. To, I mean, the work he'd done amazing. It was terrific. I was, I was so excited by the work he had done because I started trying to trace my ancestry and it's, she's, it's, I found that very challenging. Money, um, because I didn't know where to go, to be truthful. didn't know where to look, didn't know the links, and that's quite deep research. So that was quite exciting. So, so the, 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 the value of connectedness and, and understanding your whakapapa, uh, um, I think, is, is quite crucial to knowing who you are and where you stand. And I think if you can't stand on your own two feet and feel you've got some solid ground under you, then it must be bloody hard to to progress your your way through life gently. So I think um, so. I'm linking back to the value, Sam. So so we haven't got a value of connectedness, but we've got a value of caring. And and part of education is all about connectedness anyway. I mean, we connect people. We connect people to knowledge. We connect people to skills. We connect people to different communities, and we care for those communities. So, so those sense of values, I think, have empowered us at this time. And I think the other thing that's really helped us, Sam, is that sense of um, teamwork, and 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 dare I say, sort of that sense of self-leading teams, or that sense of interdependentness. You know, where you empowerment where you give people a sense of empowerment and when you get into some challenging times the more empowerment you've given them the better because they help and start solving their own problems if we as a society want to solve everybody's problems people will never start solving their own problems and I know that as society we do have to have a safety net a safety net that's there for all but but we can't rely on the state to to um, um, to enable us to flourish 
and enable us to really advance. We should be, we should have a safety net that is a minimum standard for us all, and whether that's through a living wage, which is a, that's a good debate that's really on the agenda now. And you know, it's very sad to hear that we've got people on the minimum wage and they have to have a full-time job and a part-time job and mum has to work, or dad, whatever, have to work, and even then they can't make ends meet. Our system's stuffed. I mean, that's not, that's not, that's not the dream. That's, the dream's gone. That's um, that's horrific. Because what are you working for? Uh, mm. I mean, those basic things. We got high as humans. We have higher aspirations, eh? Um, we have our basic needs met, and then actualization and old um, um, maybe, um, Maslow's needs of hierarchy. You know, maybe in this time to... of of stepping back and of constraints and rahui and however we consider it maybe we'll start to reconsider those those sorts of questions now i have some questions to end with and we've got about three minutes to get through all of them so we'll have to be quick yeah what's the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years two years success jeepers i went overseas for six (laughs) months i mean to travel the world with alan uh, well, not the world. We only did South America and um, Turkey, and went to. Um, so I didn't achieve. I, what did I achieve? I achieved seeing other parts of the world and understanding different cultures. And going to Anzac Day on Gallipoli was. I still get very emotional when I think about that. Lying on the beach where our soldiers come ashore just just blew me. I don't know if that's an achievement, but I. They were terrific. Uh, uh, something I'll never ever forget. So we're writing a book of these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes, the team of people doing good work. So you're in our mansion. What's your superpower? What's my superpower? I think it's uh, love, really. Love for, love for others. Love for, love for people. That's my energy. Keeps me going. So you said you were a little bit progressive. Do you consider yourself to be an activist? No. No, miles away from being. <laughs> oh, what my definition of an activist is? You know, I see someone putting themselves on the line. Um, you know, some things stand. You know, standing in front of the of the tank in Tiananmen Square. That's activism. Well, what have I done? Stood in front of a bus. <laughs> what have I done? In my own little way, I have my challenges and and take them head on. But you know, not to that magnitude. Um, I stand up, one for myself, but for other people, if I think they're being shitted on, you know, that's not what life's all about. That's my level of activism, I, I guess. So bringing, bringing, this, bringing this values focus to leadership yeah. is a, a, an activist action. Yeah, it is, but it feels quite easy to do because they're my values. They're deep inside me, so I don't feel like I'm... I'm doing something courageous. I'm just doing something that I do every day. It just feels, that part feels natural and easy. It didn't always, because I wasn't always comfortable with myself. Um, but now, and I, I also was, I always struggled to take criticism. I used to take it all personally all the time. I used to not cope with that very well. So, you know, my activism now is, um, um, taking on board um, criticism and working with it and either learning from it or spitting it out, saying I didn't like the taste of that and I'm, 
I'm not going to keep chewing it, you know, time it went. So what challenge are you looking forward to in the next couple of years? Um, I, I see myself um, um, not being at a Target Polytechnic probably within the next two years. Maybe sooner, maybe maybe later, maybe sooner because of NZIST and COVID-19. Who, who knows? But I'm comfortable with that. And I've had a wonderful journey over 15 years, coming 16 years at the Polytech. Unbelievable journey with students and staff and the things that have been achieved. So I feel that work is not done. It's not complete. I'm not there. But it's getting closer. And so it's like the transition to... Um, um, my next stage of life, that's that's something I'm starting to contemplate. And that brings in line probably some of the challenges that are now before us, like maybe becoming a volunteer, maybe getting involved in some trusts, maybe working at a community level. Um, um, I see that happening. And lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? <laughs> advice? I'm not good at giving advice, really, although my wife probably would say I give her <laughs> advice all the time. Um, advice, advice. On yourself, I think the deeper you understand yourself and how you tick, the better you can make your way in life. Um, so, so yeah, get to understand yourself. Get to know where you're from um, and stay connected. Stay connected. You only have one life, regardless of what others might tell you. You only have one I believe you only have one. So, kia ora, Sam. Thank you very much. Moira, any last thoughts? Yeah, that was really cool, actually, Chris. Thank you. Um, that's going to create an interesting conversation at our dining room table tonight uh, with the children, um, actually helping them to start defining that story for themselves now. So I figure it's going to be a lot easier for them as young people um, than it is for us as you know, not so young people anymore. So it's, I think that might be a lifelong journey, possibly. Thank Go you. Go by. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Blowing Bubbles, conversations with people in their safe spaces around the world, brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We broadcast on Otago Access Radio every weekday afternoon at 3 and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook as well. We've had contributions from Liesl Mitchell and Tahu McKenzie. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, with Mawira Karatai in Fakatani, and we've been talking with Chris Morland in Fairfield, Dunedin. We hope you enjoyed the show. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.